Welcome to Surviving Society. Um, we're at the BSA and we are joined with Mark Ball, mm-hmm. um, who is going to tell us a bit about his research and paper that he's presenting this week. Yeah, uh, so uh, thank you very much for having me on. You're welcome. Uh, really good thing as well, obviously PhD students getting stuff out there, really good solidarity, all that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm presenting on Friday on 1K Relief My Research, which is uh, looking at a uh, line dancing group in Stoke-on-Trent. So I did a year's participatory research. What does that mean? Well, indeed, doesn't it? Partly it means that you're not sitting awkwardly at the side of a bunch of people line dancing and they feel awkward about the whole thing. So partly, to a certain extent, there's kind of a pragmatic element to it. Because, um, but also, uh, I, it, it came from, um, I don't know if you guys have found this in any research you do, but um, fun is a word that often people default to when they're talking about leisure. It could be really good. Oh. Well, so the whole thing's kind of a happy accident. Uh, so I started with um, the darts leagues in Stoke. Uh, so when I started doing my research, Stoke had four of the top ten darts players in the world. Um, Phil Taylor, who's the winningest darts player of all time. Yeah, Phil Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got Eric Bristow moved up yeah. there. London oh. to Stoke migration. <laughs> so Tuesday's having a fit. It's the working class. <laughs> I love the Eric Bristow. Culture. <laughs> <laughs> Did you meet Ted Hankey or something like that? No, no, oh. I didn't. I interviewed Ian White though, Did who's you? number nine in the world. Oh, I love this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a picture with it. I was quite unprofessional. Didn't ask for a picture afterwards. Did you? Oh yeah. <laughs> I then set up. I've set up a darts league in Stoke, and then he gave me like all these signed pictures to give out and stuff. That's oh, research impact. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think what was really interesting about your research that stood out for me when you contacted mm. us was the fact that it's based in Stoke. Mm. Um, and I'm from the Midlands yeah, and yeah. I had a partner that went to, my previous partner that went to Kiel. So mm. I'd spent a bit of time in Stoke and it's a very interesting place. Mm. And obviously it gets labelled and painted in a particular way. It's very much like one of those towns that like when the Guardian writes about like the left behind towns where nothing happens, it used to have something great. Yeah. And now it's just, you know, Plastic bags empty, yeah. rolling down the street in the Well, breeze. it's a dream for that, isn't it? <laughs> you just get off the train, snap a couple of photos. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a lot of uh, houses for sale there. Cool, back on the train. Yeah. So yeah, one of those places, isn't it? Mm. Can you tell a bit about tell us a bit about how that sort of placemaking is featured within your research, the placemaking of Stoke and yeah. the group, the leisure activities that you've sort of been involved in? Yeah, 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 sure. So I. I started, I like to think it wasn't just contrary and kind of a kickback against this idea of the left behind. Um, but that was when I was starting to develop the research. That was the dominant discourse that we were developing to speak about post-industrial towns. And sort of, yeah, immediately I thought, well, why is Sunderland like Stoke all of a sudden? Mm. You know, why are we homogenising this, you know? Though kind of laudable it might be to think about the ways in which these places haven't managed to transition successfully in terms of a post-industrial economy that thrives, nevertheless, this seems like quite a crude label. Um, so without wanting to just be contrarian, I was like, well, what works in Stoke? Um, and so that's when I found the Darts Leagues. And that uh, was what I'd done with my undergraduate research as well. I was quite interested in like spaces of sort of like everyday leisure space, things that are maybe overlooked. I was just interested in pick-up basketball and kind of how people make space with this pick-up activity. So I was like, oh great, darts kind of fits with that. It's kind of about play, kind of about leisure. But the irony, of course, is that I was interested in this kind of overlooked thing. But there's when you're in the Stoke Darts Leagues, there's nothing overlooked about mm. the Darts League. Instead, they're very famous. They've got seven leagues. They run every single night of the week. Professionals from other areas of the UK come to the Stoke Darts Leagues for like a month at a time to like get some practice in and stuff because the standard's so high. Where, who, how do professional darts players make money? 
Oh, Mine's easily. Totally they get sponsorship. So, so Ali Pali. Right. So, you, so a big Christmas, you know, big darts extravaganza. Uh, the winner of that, I think, took half a million this year, just for that event, and then he'll have his sponsorships. Like Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah, almost Wimbledon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wimbledon, but with different drinks. <laughs> Not so much Crimson. Yeah, and food, yeah, and food. Yeah. I don't know. I. Just, the kind of stereotype of darts is it's a very working class yeah. sport, mm. big drinkers, etc., etc. But when in London now, it's been gentrified. Oh, God. So there's a whole kind of I don't know how to describe no, it. No, like there's a there's a what's that? Flight club. Flight club. Flight club. Did yeah. you see yeah. that article yeah. on the Guardian? Yeah. I was I that I, I wrote the article. Did you write the article? Yeah. Did well, you write the article? article? I was the guy who interviewed it. I was the guy who interviewed it. Oh, tell us what you said in that interview. Uh, uh, well, okay. Uh, I felt like I was being, um, uh, like, you they wanted me to kind of say that this is uh, appropriation. So don't know if that kind of neatly scanned on in this particular case. What I thought is, <laughs> what's, what's kind of a shame about it is that Flight Club, which you might see, which is like the posh bowling alley cocktail mm. sort of jobby, um, it being transposed to darts is that that now looks like success, whereas the darts leagues instead don't look like success. And actually, there's really good darts leagues in London, like East End. <laughs> it's got really great darts scene, um, but those dart darts boards are leaving pubs because food makes much more sense in terms of financially. You know, all the pressures of capital, rah rah rah. Darts boards are going. So mm. the, the thing I thought was a shame is that well, we're going to be left with Flight Club and we're going to lose the darts leagues. But yeah, from my experience, the traditional pubs mm. are. Uh, are being destroyed mm. and so we, uh, in my traditional pub you still have a darts board and you still have space for food but if things like Flight Club homogenise that experience like a McDonald's almost mm. but you lose that kind of community feel and you use the kind of nuance of the area so people go there not just to have a drink it's to talk and it's where, where's someone who's 70 going to go and this is what's being lost in this process and I, I don't think people are aware of this because like when you when they start looking building flats and stuff like that, you're taking away someone's social activity, what they, what they do for fun and funds like listen, it's it's fun's a very complex term, and so fun tends who do you have fun with, these people that you have like lifelong bonds with, and if you remove these, what do you have? And the things that people complain about like lack of community, all these things, but you're actively removing these things, which is yeah, which is the paradox, isn't it really? Everyone this is great. That, it's great that that was recorded because yeah. I could just use that in my thesis. That was great. You explained it better than me. Yeah, but, no, exactly right. Surviving yeah. society, comma, 2019. Yeah, 2019. Tell us about line dancing and death then. Okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds like a weird tea up, but we did have a conversation about that before. So the line dancing was surprisingly, in the league I was in, the women's dart scene was much healthier than the men's dart scene. So that was one of the interesting things I found. When you say healthier. So our pub has three women's teams, men has two. I went to join this very famous pub in Tunstall. I really wanted to play darts there because Bill Taylor used to play that. I went, can I join the team? No, we've got four women's teams. We don't have a men's team. Do you want to set up a men's team? So I did focus groups. With, so, so I did explore women's darts in Stoke, but I was also aware. But I was also, uh, if, if the research was going to evolve to think about everyday participation and leisure and stuff, I was like, well, you know, I'd be, I'm going to be very gender blind if I don't pick a different case study. So I was kind of mulling over this for a while. And line dancing was a really happy accident because my uh, supervisor used to live in Stoke. And he was like, oh, 
you know, line dancing is quite big there. So I really stumbled into it completely blind, perhaps quite uncritically thinking as well, I need to think about gender, leaving that very open, um, and put that in dialogue. And, and at least then I could sort of develop some sort of critical understanding about darts so I didn't just completely fall in love with this thing. So yeah, so line dancing and death. Well, uh, line dancing you can go to on your own, and a lot of people before have done partnerless forms of dance. Um, I really didn't think about this going in, as I was saying before, I was kind of boldly naive, if you put it, as best as possible. But people can still go after their partners died, and that's a really common story in the space. And actually, while I was doing the research, um, I'm talking about this in the paper on Friday, someone's, someone at the club's partner did die, and uh, that happened a couple of times, and so it was... It became very apparent that people are kind of dancing with death, and that might sound like a sort of contradiction, but actually grieving is very much a part of the space, but also you know, dealing with that in this kind of interesting, very care-filled way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I mean by that. What is, what's the history of line dance then? Why is it big and stoke? Yeah, I don't really know, to be honest. <laughs> I just interject, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, yeah, so basically dancing, as in the specific forms of dancing is very big in the Midlands, so I used to be a ballroom dancer. Oh, right, yeah. okay. Um, and it's very sort of like, as Tiso was saying, like community-based as well. So these dance schools um, sort of, yeah, operate as like sort of convivial spaces, but everyone has a relationship to that dance dance school. And, like, and I'm not trying to homogenise the, mid the Midlands, but I just mm. know of a lot of, if we were competing or if there was just knowing other dancers from when I was growing up, mm. everyone sort of had connections within the Midlands to other dance schools. Mm. And that would be sort of ballroom, uh, line dancing, mm. um, rock and roll, mm. Latin American. Mm. So um, line dancing is something you came across as a kid? Line dancing I came across, but I didn't do it personally. Tap mm. as well, not as much ballet, because ballet's, yeah, not, not mm. as accessible. Um, but yeah, so it would be interesting to know the history of that within the Stoke context, but I do mm. know that in the Midlands, yeah, well, Dancing. so Stoke used to have a big um, sort of country music club. Okay. So this class started there. And from what I can gather, uh, there was uh, Miley Cyrus's dad. What's he called? Oh, Billy Ray Cyrus. So, Cyrus, so, so yeah. there was this kind of cult the cultural moment of country music in yeah, the yeah, 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is from what I've gathered, yeah. Um, and so there was a class started up in Stoke. And then this has kind of moved around various venues. And But you will see in working men's clubs around the country that there are often mm. line dancing classes on. And it is mostly an older crowd as well. So there is something something going on there. Well, I was going to say, Mark, are you actually any good? Oh, yeah, man. Powerful. Love that. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I like it. Do you know what? I think I might dance it. If this, my, if this my bombs, dance teachers well, I'll take like, to a line dance. <laughs> <laughs> my dance teachers are older. And I think they to do line dancing, you know. That's, yeah. yeah, I need to have a think. Yeah, because it rings about. I can see people. I can see them doing it. Are they? Are they, are they special moves? Like, are they like yeah. moves that you? Kickback yeah, yeah, yeah. roll, oh, yeah, jazzy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, your basic yeah. grapevines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Kickball chains. Kick you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, it's a one wall dance, it's a two wall dance, three, four wall. We know. used to have to do it at school when I was no, I bet you loved it, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think as a teenager, any form of dance that's forced on you is not a good form of dance, but you never know, maybe later in life. Well, I think what's quite interesting about line dancing is that uh, I think it's, from my experience, the least embarrassing form of dance that I've ever done before, partly because you're freed by routine. You're not dancing with a person facing someone. You're actually all facing the same way. So there is something about the practice of so doing it, which is... Is it kind of more ge less gendered than another kinds of dance as well? Yeah, yeah, everyone's, yeah, yeah. Which means that so if someone's, so if someone's a fan of dancing, they do partner dance, their partner dies, yeah. they can go to a line dancing class. So, yeah. Question. 
did you find out um and did anyone share with you like within the, sorry mm. within these spaces do people talk about like politics or like everyday life or things mm. that are with outside of the leisure activity do they talk about things that you sort of picked up on within the research so certainly at the uh, line dancing conversations about aging and uh kids and mm. grief obviously i've mentioned that's quite an emotive one but just you know day-to-day -day sharing some of the day-to-day -day struggles of, mm. of aging was definitely part of it um in terms of the darts uh i don't know do you mean like did people ask me did we talk about like politics and, yeah uh, some, I think at the start when, so joining the Darts League was interesting, I was really lucky, I, I went to like, it was a really nice bunch of people, I didn't get, um, first three pubs I went in they said no, <laughs> you can't join the Darts League, because you, you obviously have to go in and say. Why? What were their reasons? Well, it's just, you know, I didn't ask, don't but you know, yeah, don't want to be watched, yeah, yeah. you know, completely understandable, you know, it's a pretty oh, weird see, thing, because I've got to be explicit. Yeah yeah, 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 sorry, I thought they were just looking at you and being like, not you. Well, they might have done that as well. <laughs> And that was a nice excuse to not have me along. <laughs> in those spaces, like I think I think um, was that um, Jesse's talk. She's talking about the kind of skills that, that middle class people get when they go to like private schools and this kind of kind of these things that you pick up. But in these spaces, when an outsider comes in, working class spaces, we know the rules. We know the so when an outsider comes, you're you're quite wary, and so you kind of you run them through their checks. You kind of look how they're dressed, and there's a, there's a code. Because everyone dresses is a similar way of dressing, a similar way of being. Mm. And this person and occupation, yeah, as well. occupation. Yeah. So you're, you're you're doing the same kind of checks, but in the inverse. Because this this is this is our space now, mm. and so you don't really don't really talk about politics in the same way that we would talk about politics in the kind of abstract. It's discussing different ways that affect your life in in the reality. So, am I making am I making enough money? What's the schools like? And and immigration comes in, but not in the same way. And it's, it's that kind of difference, that, that kind of nuance. Like when I worked in the city, we discussed politics like in a very middle class way. But in these spaces, it's discussed in a very, it, what's happening to your life right now? What happens right now? So it breaks, it wouldn't even come up. But if it does come up, it's how does it affect me now? Not in that kind of abstract, long term sense. Did you find that? Uh, Brexit was spoken about because, well, so when I was there as well, so you know, Paul Nuttall declared Stoke on Trent. Brexit capital of Britain, mm. which he didn't actually have the highest percentage of vote leave as well, but it was you know it was sort of good marketing on this mm. point. Mm. Didn't didn't end up working. So so Brexit to a certain extent was unavoidable. Uh, I think sort of this will I'll have to include this in sort of my reflexive methodology. I think how I am coded going into that kind of space. Yeah. So uh, people read me a particular way, and conversations, especially in the early going, were kind of like, what do you think about this? I became a bit of like a soundboard for like. <laughs> What does this middle class guy think about this? Yeah. So, yeah, so that, but, but that, yeah, so, yeah. So that, so, and there's, a, and I don't know if you guys have done like ethnographically minded things. You end up with just all this data that you're not quite sure what to do with, and you kind of loyal to your research questions, and you've just got all, and you could do a whole thing about that, just a really reflexive sort of autoethnography of encountering that space, my positionality, other positionalities, how darts functions as an activity to transcend and not transcend that at the same time. Um, did you see Paul Nuttall while you were doing your research? No, 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 no. He lives there, doesn't he? No, 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 no. Oh, no, he bought a no, but did <laughs> yeah. he buy a house? Yeah. So there was some drama. He had drama. to register with a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that he could do it, yeah. yeah. So Paul Nuttall was head of UKIP briefly for a month or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did he stop being head? Did he say something? His girlfriend, wasn't it? 
Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That's the other one. Was that's it? the other UK leader who's oh, girlfriend guy after, said, yeah, yeah. That said about Meghan Markle yeah. um, diluting the... It's not him. Bloodline. No, that no. wasn't. Hit. It, that was the old. I can't remember his name. Paul Nuttall did. What did he do? He ran for. He ran to be MP uh, after the Tristram Hunt by election. Oh, and then he then he resigned. Yeah, then yeah. he resigned. Yeah. He lost. <laughs> mm. What are the things that you're? Because they're two quite different mm. things that you're looking <laughs> at, right? Like mm. dance and line dancing. What are, are there like commonalities that you're able to draw out for your PhD? Uh, so they both happen in working men's clubs and pubs. Uh, so there's an interesting conversation to be had about um, infrastructure. So yeah, so, so as I kind of said, I went in with this interest in sort of quote-unquote ordinary, quote-unquote everyday, saying that very cautiously. Um, and the whole thing has led me to sort of the critical question at the end of that is how do we come to think of these spaces as ordinary and everyday? And I think there's certainly a class element to that. Um, why is it that Flight Club has this sort of spectacular aura around it, but this and it's really expensive. Dot, it's really expensive. Yeah. yeah, we went and did it. Yeah, oh, it's so weird, man. It's such a weird space. Yeah, I just find those those working class spaces. There's a kind of reverence and a respect for them. Mm. Flight Club is, from my experience, when I've gone there with, my, with City Boys, it's it's a laugh. It's something disposable. It's 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 kind Consumption. of consumption. Yeah, it's modernity. It's yeah. very modern, and people don't really care. But in for example, the Dean Swift, people care. And that's... That, what's the Dean Swift? This is, sorry, Dean Swift is my local pub. Uh, it's, okay. it's my local. And people care. So there could be two people in there. And it's that same river. They will open at that same time. Open at 10 o'clock in the morning. And it's open all the way through to close hours. And people, like I said, people care. But for Flight Club, it, like in 10 years' time, it'll be replaced with something else. Mm. Do you think? Or do you think that your local pub will be uh, well, replaced by Flight Club? At the, at the moment... There's a big thing, the owner just won the right not to get the pub knocked down and turned to flats because it's the last pub in East London that's still standing by in Watling. So you know, on Commercial Street, it's still there. So all the others, they want to turn it to flats because that's they have put in for planning and she's just, it was in the paper the other day. Oh my God, T, I was walked out of Whitechapel Gallery the other day mm-hmm. and like those buildings, it's just like a wall of glass yeah, it's bad. It's horrible. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's I was just like, you can't actually look up properly because they're so close to the roads. But what you're seeing that recently, the idea of space now has become every space has become corporatized. So there's a, there was a. Remember I told you there was a, a, a subway that was been disused where all the homeless people moved there. Now they've just boarded it up on purpose. Not, there's no development there, just boarded it so no one can Well, have you there. seen that on Finsbury Park outside the bowling alley? There were loads of homeless people who were sleeping under the train tracks mm. and they've moved them all on. Mm. And like, they were, it's like a dry place, so people they've have been like there mattresses for and years stuff. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Gone now. So, but this kind of thing where this kind of space where, it's, where space is being corporatized, and I don't, I don't know where this ends. Is that happening in Soak? What that kind are the, are of, the, sort of how are the pubs being protected? How are the legislators being well, to protected? A extent, and are they being protected? Well, not officially, okay. but there's not that sort of set, that sort of top-down pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, pubs are there's tons of pubs in Stoke. Partly by virtue, it's six towns that were federated into a city, so it's all very dispersed. So there's there's lots of there's so it doesn't really have a city centre. So you'll we, never we were so, yeah we were saying yeah. that the transport is so the transport is shocking. shocking. Yeah, yeah. Really, probably one really of the worst. In my personal experience of travel in the UK, I think that's one of the worst I've ever. Yeah, because you've got to because yeah. you get off the train, and then you've got to get the bus up to Hanley, yeah. and then Hanley's the designated city centre. This is apparently one of the because you know they're. Get it if you're a Kiel student as well, oh, like yeah. getting to. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so no, I don't, I don't think there's that same pressure on, on pubs in Stoke. I don't think you'll find quite that same story. I think uh, that, that people, there are some concerns about pubs shutting and that affecting darts leaks because just people don't have as much disposable income. Mm. Stoke isn't a city where people have as much disposable income as other cities. So there is, there is certainly some pressure, but it manifests in a, in a different kind. It's people not being able to afford to go to the pub rather than pubs are being squeezed out. Are you, in your PhD, going to make the point of saying that Stoke isn't just a white space? So, I, I have this... Because it gets imagined as that, doesn't it? Very yeah, much yeah. so, and that's, and, that's, and that's part of the problem. of mm. um, Because it's not just, no. um, not at all. Uh, my, yeah, I, I mean, I will, I will mention it. I think my PhD is about leisure spaces, mm-hmm. um, and then I have to acknowledge the limitations of what I've found. Mm. I mean, it might not surprise you all to know that it's a pretty wide space, mm-hmm. the darts legion stoke, and same with the line dancing. And I have to definitely build that into the sort of reflexive conclusions on how, because the because these traditional pubs can be really celebrated and they're kind of revered and it's imbued with all this nostalgia and this romance. So flight club might open itself up to as a space to for darts to people who might not feel comfortable going into other kinds of pubs as well. So as much as I think it's right to be critical of the forces that create flight club, we should also I think think about how flight club actually might open itself up to people who might be intimidated by playing darts yeah, before. Darts yeah. is a it's gladiatorial in lots of different ways. Very, very male-dominated space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, I remember you saying that to me, Chantal, when you were talking about going to Fight Club, and I was like, oh, why would you pay £15 to play darts? You'd be quite free at a pub. And you were like, why would I go into a pub where I'm not welcome? Yeah. And I was like, that is, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I would not yeah, think yeah, of going yeah. playing darts in a pub for the same reasons. So. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing, like, it works the works that I worry around as well. My working classmates wouldn't go to flight yeah. club. Mm. They they feel yeah, yeah, they yeah. could have been judged, and so you have a, you have an odd situation where both both parties are thinking the same thing, but equally, if you went there, you wouldn't feel they wouldn't phrase it, they would welcome you at both places. Well, in Stoke, and this is actually maybe I shouldn't say this. No, carry on. <laughs> <You're wrong. laughs> no, because it's hard because I, I don't want to push the narration of um, it being a racist place, but my experience I had experienced quite a lot of yeah 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 well I mean yeah well it it had the most number of BNP councillors ever elected in 2010 Uh, I mean Paul Nuttall came second so it's not um, and yeah yeah there's undoubtedly some of that going on but I guess the point is right is like racism is not only in places like Stoke no it's also in the multicultural it's also in Chelsea exactly And, so and, it, everywhere. and it's easy to blame places like Stoke and look at the Brexit vote and go, oh, it's the left, it's mm. this, rather than thinking actually this country has a massive problem with race. Yeah. And that manifests in lots of different places in lots of different ways. And people were given a reason to be racist and they jumped yeah. on it. But anyway, let's not get into that. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. Good place to end that. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're listening to Sublime Society, the BSA, we'll be back with lots of other BSA podcasts. So tune in.